All right, how you doing this morning, church? Hey, I got a thumbs up. All right, that's good. Hey, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, Les asked me to fill the pulpit, which is always kind of a nerve-wracking thing, but especially the first time that you do it. So I'm going to ask you to give me, like, just a lot of grace this morning, okay? Because then uh, I'll just feel better about myself, and that's... uh, So it's a good thing. Hey, so if you guys haven't met me yet, my name is John McCowan. I'm the new youth pastor here at Faith Covenant, and I'm really excited to be here. And I'm really excited to answer the one burning question I know everybody in this room has, right? You're welcome for what I'm about to answer. John, what's it like to be a youth pastor? Well, let me tell you. Uh, And I promise I'm not going to name names. I won't call you guys out, you two specifically. I won't call you out, don't worry. Uh, So... Christmas Eve, we gather together as a church. It's a really nice time. You know, we're here as a family. We're here worshiping the Lord. We're celebrating his birth. And I won't name names. She comes up to me, the one on the right here. She comes up to me and she goes, hey, what's up with your outfit? And I'm in an outfit very similar to what I'm in today, right? Nice colored shirt. I've got the button up. Okay. I look nice. All right, I've got a pair of nice Jordans on. Okay, I look good. All right, I know I'm, I, I know I'm supposed to be humble, but I looked good. And she goes, why are you in a T-shirt? It's like, I'm not in a T-shirt. And so basically, she comes up to me on Christmas Eve, a time of, of hope and love, and just roasts me. Okay, I was like, I was feeling good about myself. I was feeling good with my church family. Roasts me, just demolishes me, demolishes all my confidence. So if you're wondering what it's like to be a youth pastor, it's very similar to that. Um, During greeting time, I went to give, I won't call you up, don't worry, I'm not going to do it. Went to give a high five. You know what she did? (sighs) That's it. That's the whole youth pastor experience right there. You come up, you pour your life out, you pour your life into these kids, you take the, the sum of your experience And you go, I'm going to give this to them, and the Lord's going to do great things. And then they just roast you, okay? They just roast you like crazy. Now, uh, you know, you get roasted by the people that you're trying to reach, so that's really great. Uh, Now, me and Susanna, we got the opportunity to close on our home on Tuesday. Uh, So basically, we're currently in the remodeling phase, um, which means the longer I preach, the less housework I have to do today. Uh, so I would recommend uh, downloading DoorDash now if you don't have it already, right? So you can order some, some lunch because we'll be here for a little bit. We'll see how everyone's doing around dinner, see if we need to order some pizza, but it'll be okay. Um, okay, I've, I'm getting a look that says I have four more ceiling fans to install today, so I'll try to be quick because <laughs> that's the look. All right, now here's the thing. I'm making a lot of jokes, and I can sit up here and I can complain about the burdens, uh, about the burdens of being roasted by teenagers, right? Or I can complain about the burdens of remodeling a house. But the reality is, these are actually things that I'm really thankful for. These are things that I can look at and realize that they are literally God moving in my life. And I know that that again, that sounds kind of weird to hear that a, a teenager roasting me is God moving. But the, but the fact is that my students being comfortable enough uh, to roast me shows that I've already formed some connections with those students. If it takes being roasted to make an impact, then I'm going to be thankful for the roasts, right? I'm going to be thankful 
for those roasts. Now, and remodeling, it may be a lot of work, but I, I'm thankful that I have a place to lay my head at night. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that I have a place to invite friends, family, and fellow believers to do life and to do ministry in my home. Like, I'm so thankful that God has given me that space to be able to use. And see, while I'm installing it, while I'm doing all the home renovations, it may feel like a burden. I mean, it does. But it's a burden that's going to help me fulfill the calling I have on my life. It's a, it's a burden that's going to be able to, that God is going to be able to use to do great things. And I'm really excited. And, and I, and I want to be a person who doesn't just look at the end process. Right? I don't want to just get to the end and say, hey, I did it. Hey, the house is remodeled. I'm, it's really nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm really excited for that part. But I want to be present in the remodeling process because that remodeling process is a journey. And it, it, it's a way for me to sit there and say, thank you so much that I am able to do this. And so I'm sure that just like me, you have some things on your heart right now that you would say are burdens, right? Maybe they're things, maybe they're people, maybe they're places. Maybe it's something that you have coming up that you're just, you just feel burdened. And a burden doesn't have to be a bad thing either. I want to I wanna preface that because a burden can be a good thing. And I usually have two hands and this is, hold on, I got this. I have conquered the paper. All right. <laughs> Uh, And so this week, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the burden that we have on our lives, and not only the burden that we have on our lives, but the burden that Paul had on his life for the people in Rome, and not just the people in Rome, but the people all over the world. And so last week, Les gave us Paul's introduction, and it was basically his credentials. It was why he was qualified to even write this letter to the Romans, and he talks about the purpose. And this week, we're going to get a little more into Paul's feelings about Rome, his obligations, and the way that the gospel was spread in the region. Now, before we jump into the passage, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork beforehand. And at the time this was being written, the believers weren't facing mass persecution, right? They were facing persecution because believers all over the world were, but Nero hadn't started the mass persecution of Rome, but it definitely wasn't a positive thing to be a believer at this time. It was always one wrong word, one wrong move, one slip up away from legally being put to death under Roman law because they weren't allowed to acknowledge, like, they had one God and it wasn't Christ, right? It was was Caesar, right? So we see that, that they are one foul, they are one slip up from being put to death. And so what you would expect to see from the people at Rome is you would expect them to see them living in fear. That's what I would expect to see. When I think about being put to death for a single wrong move, I would probably play things very close to the vest, right? I would, I would, I would try to be very cautious, very, you know, I'm tiptoe around things. But that's not what you see in Rome. You actually see believers who had learned to manage this tension incredibly well. And so they had learned to not just, not even just manage this tension, they had learned to thrive in this tension. And so that's kind of how Paul really kicks off the book of Romans, is he really goes in and says, your faith is a testament to the lives that you're living. And not only that, but it is spreading all over the world. So what I want to do is I want to to take a look 
at the burden that Paul feels for believers, not just at Rome, but all over the world, and how that burden kind of shapes his actions, his beliefs, and what he does with that pressure. And so let's go ahead and read Romans 1, 8 through 15, and then we'll jump into it. It says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. So Paul is writing this book because he has a burden for the people in Rome. He is burdened by not just the people in Rome, but by Rome as a city. He feels this kinship with it. Because he has done this all over the region at this point. And this is a place that he hasn't gotten to visit yet. This is a church that's thriving. And he wants to be able to share in it. He desperately longs to see and to be with the believers here. We see in this chapter that he's been praying to get to Rome to share in the fruit of the ministry. But God has prevented him. He's been told no to the thing that he longs for the most. He was burdened with the people. We know that God ultimately allows him to go to Rome, right? We see in scripture that he ends up in Rome. And ultimately, that's where he lost his life. That's where Paul loses his life. So the very thing that, God, that, that Paul is praying for to get to go to Rome is the very thing that ends up costing him his life. But God had some big plans for the in-between, right? So before Paul gets to go to Rome, before Paul loses his life at Rome, God had things that he had called Paul to do. So he knew the best time for Paul to go to Rome is not now. But Paul still felt burdened. That didn't change that Paul felt burdened by the people at Rome. He felt burdened by the call on his life. Paul felt the burden. He felt the pressure. And as you sit in this room today, Maybe there is something that you're burdened by. Maybe there is a pressure that you feel, a tension that you want to manage. Maybe it's something that you've been praying for. Maybe it's a a person, right? Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's hoping to see someone come to know the truth about Christ. Maybe it's a health issue, right? I'm I'm facing some of those in my family right now. Uh, Maybe it's a health issue for yourself, Maybe it's a health issue for someone that you love. Maybe it's a no. Maybe it's something that God has told you no on, and you don't understand why, and you're having trouble wrapping your head around it. It's like, God, can you not see the good that I could do if you would just let me do this? Maybe, maybe that no is a not yet, or maybe it is a no, and there's something bigger that God has planned. But whatever your burden may be, I think that we can find hope in the words of Paul today. I think that we can look at how he manages this tension in his own life and see 
just see some keys to how he manages this whole thing. And so the very first thing that we see Paul do whenever he is wanting to go to Rome is we see Paul start with thanks. And I think that this is such a key in everything that we do is to start our lives with thankfulness. And you might sit in this room and tell me, John, I have nothing to be thankful for. My life is in shambles. My home is a mess. Everything has fallen apart around me. But I would argue that even in the middle of that mess, there is something, maybe something small, maybe something big, that you can thank God for. And so we should start with thankfulness. It changes our attitude. See, he says in this verse, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. You see, I think this is one of the most important lessons that we can learn as human beings. And I know that it's not an easy lesson because a lot of the times I don't want to start with thanks. I want to start right where I'm at. I want to say, no, I'm in a bad situation. I'm, I'm in a cruddy spot and I want to figure out this. But maybe, just maybe, if we will take our eyes off of the things happening in our immediate vicinity, and we will look to what God has done, look to what God has promised, look to what God is doing, maybe it won't change our circumstance, but it can change the way that we approach it. And so Paul actually mirrors this thought of being thankful several times throughout Scripture. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is Paul himself living it out. It comes to us in Philippians 4.17, and it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. See, Paul doesn't stop at the request. No, instead, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to present what I need to God. That burden that you have, In your life, present it to God. God wants to hear it. God wants you to bring it to him. But don't stop at the burden. Begin to thank God for all that he's done. Because when you begin to thank God for all that he's done, you realize that these burdens, they're a gift. They're a gift to be able to grow your faith, to be able to grow others' faith, to be able to grow in Christ. And so he is is showing us thankfulness is where we start See, Paul encourages us to pray in Philippians 4.17, but he also encourages us to be thankful for what God is already doing and has already done. This is the same attitude he adopts in his letter to the Romans. We see Paul living Philippians 4.17 out right here. He approaches this entire book, right? He sets the stage for the entire book of Romans with thanks. It's the very first thing he does. He even makes a point to say that it's the first thing he's doing. You see, Paul is thankful for what God is doing in Rome. He's thankful for the way that the Romans are living their lives above reproach. He's thankful that their faith is causing people to talk about them all over the world. You see, Paul takes his burden and immediately looks for the good in it. Paul is burdened by the church, not just the church in Rome, but the church in general. We actually, we see him talk a lot about it in Colossians, but he is burdened by the church, and he's burdened by the fact that he can't get to Rome, even though he desperately wants to. But we also see that in the middle of that burden for the church, he's thankful for what the Roman church is doing. He's thankful 
that they are spreading the gospel. And he's thankful that they're able to do that in the way that they're doing it. I know this may be difficult in whatever situation you're in. I get that thanks is not always the first thing that we want to do. But I have to ask this. As you look at your situation, what is God doing in the waiting? What is God doing with the burden? Thankfulness. What, what is God doing in the health crisis? Who is God reaching? What is God doing in you as you sit in this burdened state? What is God doing? Is it crushing to you or are you allowing it to grow and make you stronger? Are you allowing it to, to strengthen your relationship with God? Are you allowing God to do what he wants to do in the waiting? You see, thankfulness changes how we approach it, approach whatever it is that we see as our burden. It doesn't change the situation, but it absolutely changes our outlook. Paul was still burdened for the church. He still wanted to go to Rome and wasn't allowed to go to Rome, and he still wasn't sure why. God didn't give him a reason. God just said no. And Paul still isn't sure, but Paul chose not to become bitter in that moment, but he, become, he chose to become thankful. He was thankful for the way that God was growing him, for the way that God was working in the in-between. And I know that that in-between place is a really hard place to be, but it's a place that's so, so, so important. And so next, we see how Paul is thankful for this situation, but Paul doesn't stop at thankfulness, right? He doesn't say, all right, I'm thankful. That's it. No, no, no. He goes on. And the second thing that he does is he prays. And we see that in Romans 9 and 10, Romans 1, 9 and 10. It says, God knows how often I pray for you day and night. I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. And so we see here, he prays. Paul takes time to pray. And he doesn't just pray once. He prays through these situations. You see, prayer is powerful. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we have as believers. We have this direct connection with God, one that allows us to come boldly before him, boldly before God. That, that word always gets me because you don't come boldly before someone you don't know. If, you're, like, if you come boldly before someone you don't know, it's arrogance. But when you come boldly before someone that you know, that's comfort. Right? That is me being comfortable in the presence of God. We, we should be praying so much that we feel comfortable in the presence of God. Do you feel comfortable in the presence of God? Because if not, I can tell you how to get there. Pray. Spend time. Be intentional with your time. And so we can come boldly before the throne of God. And so that's exactly what Paul does. Paul wanted to... Paul. Paul came before God because he wanted to be in Rome. And, and when he couldn't be in Rome, he began to pray for the people of Rome. And I find it really interesting what happens here because when we're looking at this set of, of scriptures, Paul is praying to come to Rome as a free man, right? He wants to come to Rome to minister to the churches. He wants to come to Rome to be, to be part of the church. He wants to come to Rome to share in what they're doing. He wants to come to church to be encouraged and encourage them. But that's not how he comes to Rome. And so we look at, we look at Paul's prayer here, and it's specific, right? I mean, he says, this is what I want. 
This is what I want to do when I get there, and this is why I want it. But what do we see? Well, we see that God eventually answers his prayer and sends him to Rome. But when Paul gets to Rome, he's not a free man. He can't just walk to the church. He can't go to the town square. He's under house arrest. His first time in Rome, he's under house arrest for two years. The primary ministry that he does in Rome, while it is to some Romans because he has incredible freedom as a prisoner because people get to come visit him, but the primary ministry that he does in Rome is he writes four epistles. The primary ministry that he does in Rome is to other churches. I just, sometimes I think about the way that God works and I'm like, man, what a, like, what a, it's kind of like, you kind of have to laugh a little bit, right? Because here Paul is, he's like, God, let me go to Rome. Let me go to Rome. Let me go to Rome. And finally, God releases him to go to Rome, gets him to Rome as a prisoner. And then he says, all right, great. Now write to my other churches. Like, that's just how God works, right? Because that's the prayer. Like Paul's prayer doesn't come like he wants it to. There's two, there's, two, there's two main things that happen to Paul in Rome. One, he writes four other epistles and writes to the churches, writes to other churches that he's visited. And the second thing is he gets put to death for his faith in Christ. That is not how Paul prays to go to Rome, but it's how God gets him there. And it's why it's such an impactful thing when he gets there. And you see, I say that because Paul, what Paul was praying for, while it was specific, God took that prayer and he used it to do what he wanted to do. And so when we pray, there's a big thing that we have to understand is that it's not, this mag- it's, not, it's not these magic words that get God to do what we want him to do. It's us saying, God, this is, these are my desires. These are the things that I want to do. These are the things that I need. Now, how can I line up with you? And then we wait and we wait for God's response. You see, Paul knew that as he was praying, he might not get exactly what he wanted in the way that he wanted it, but he knew that God would work with what he gave him because that's, that's the wonderful part about God is if you give God something, he's going to use it for his glory just as he uses Paul for his glory. And so Paul, Paul does a lot of things in here. He prays that he gets to go to Rome. He prays for other believers, and he prays he prays for the things that are burdening him. He prays for the things that he sees as his obligation. We should be praying for those same things. The things that are burdening you, you should be bringing those before God. And you should be bringing them before God every time you come to God. Just like Paul, I pray for you day and night. I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. We should be doing that same thing. We should be bringing those things that burden us to God And then ultimately, we should be praying that we hear from God on everyday things. We should be so in communion with God that we hear from him on everyday things. I remember a few years ago, uh, me and Susanna were, we really like Disney, okay? I'm just going to let you know that up front. When we're on vacation, 85% of the time, it'll be to Disney. So if you want a mug, just let me know. Uh, But we go to Disney a lot. We enjoy it. She has family in Florida, so we visit her family, we visit Mickey Mouse, then we come back happy, all right? It's a good time. But a few years ago, we were sitting there talking about what our vacation plans were and what we were going to do that year, and I just remember stopping and saying, let's pray. Like, let's pray about this. I didn't, it wasn't a big deal, right? It was vacation. 
Does God, does God want a hand in my vacation? I would say God wants a hand in every part of your life. And so we just stopped and we said, God, is, is this what you want us to do? And I'm not going to tell you that the voice of heaven boomed down and said, go see Mickey Mouse. Wow. Ooh, I don't, that, I got, God's voice got a lot deeper than I wanted it to there. <sighs> All right. No, but God didn't boom from heaven and say, go see Mickey. But we just felt a peace and a release. And we said, all right, great. We get to go see Dorothy and Alan, her aunt and uncle. We get to go see Mickey. We get to go see Donald, right? Arguably better than Mickey, but okay. We get to go see those things. We didn't, we would have listened had God said no. We weren't really expecting a no, but we just realized that we didn't want to just involve God in the church part of our lives. We didn't want to just involve God in the spiritual things. We wanted God to have a hand in Everything that we did, whether that was big or little or somewhere in between, we wanted God to have a hand in it. Begin to pray as if you want God to have a hand in your life, not just for the big miraculous things. Pray for those. Pray for those big miraculous things. Pray for the things that only God can do, please. But also invite him into the everyday and listen. Listen for the response. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul says day and night because Paul has involved God in every part of his life. The next thing that Paul does, and this is something that Paul encourages the believers in Rome to do, or he says it's something I want to do, and it's also something that he's doing away from the church in Rome, but he is together. As the church, we should be together. See, he doesn't just pray. He prays with a purpose. He prays so that he can encourage and be encouraged by other believers. Let me ask you a really easy question that might not have an easy answer. And I'm not trying to come down harsh on anybody. I just, it's something that we have to think about. Are you right now sharing your life with other believers? And if so, great, keep doing that. And if not, great, start. Because it is so important that we as believers are encouraging each other, and that it is not a one-way street, but it is two ways. You're encouraging other people, and they're encouraging you. Your life, you were designed to do life with other people. This, this, this church, it's a community. God has called us to be in community. That's why home groups are so important, because it's the place that you get to connect one-on-one with other believers. It's the place that you get to invite people into both the, the joys and the sadnesses of your life. It's the place where you get to do life together. And so be together. Do what Paul says here and be together. It's a primary motivation for him to want to visit Rome is to be with the believers there. It should be a primary motivation for you in your everyday life to be with believers, to invite them into life. You see, Jesus says, Jesus invites us to share in the burden. And that doesn't just mean that we're sharing his burden. It means that he is sharing ours. And not only are we sharing it together, we're sharing it with him. And so he literally says his yoke is light and his burden is easy. To be yoked to something is to literally be tied to it. And so we should be sharing the weight of life with our fellow believers so that none of us are carrying it all by ourselves. And ultimately, the centerpiece of all of that 
should be Christ bearing the majority of the weight. And we should be encouraging each other to be able to do that. And we need to, we need to be together to be able to encourage people with that. Finally, and this might be my favorite part of this whole verse, right? So you guys have probably figured this out by now. I'm a pretty excitable guy, all right? I can get excited at just about anything. Um, just about, yeah, just be excited. So Paul here says, uh, Paul stays eager in the waiting. Despite the burden that he feels for the church, he stays excited. His obligation to believers, both rich and poor and everything in between, both learned and unlearned, his obligation to them makes him feel excited. And I know that while you're sitting, wherever you're sitting, feeling the burdens of life, feeling the, the, the crushing weight, which if you have other believers with you, won't feel as crushing. If you, put, if you pray and invite Jesus in, it won't feel as crushing. But I know that it can be really hard to be excited where you're at. You know, maybe you're in a place where you're feeling really, really burned out. Maybe you're in a place where you just feel like the weight is too much to bear. And you're like, John, how can I stay excited when everything is trash around me? And the reality is, it's not easy. It's not a thing that you can just say, oh, yeah, I'm excited. It's a, it's a thing you're going to have to work at. But it is a thing that Paul, who for most of his letters is in prison, awaiting death, uh, he, he's, in, he's in the darkest places, but he still stays excited. And so we see in verse 14, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. Does the thought of your calling excite you? Do the things of God make your heart beat a little bit faster. When you think of the miracle that you're praying for, does the process excite you? Does it excite you to see what God is going to do, even if you don't know what it is? Even if it's not going to work out exactly like you want it to, does it make you excited? Because the things of God should make us excited. We should be excited about what God is doing. Does the thought of God answering that prayer, that Thing that you are burdened for, that you hope for with all of your heart, does it make you feel like a child again? Does it make you feel that childlike excitement? The faith of a child is something that is always expecting. expecting. It expects God to be there, not in a demanding way, but, it, but because it trusts that God is there that God is involved, that God is in the middle of life. It trusts that God is true. It trusts that God loves, whether things go our way or not our way. It trusts that God loves us in the middle of those moments. The gospel of Christ should excite you. You see, it's the greatest news that we could ever hear. And God has called you to share in it and share it. You see, Paul specifically says, I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. All of these years of being beaten down, 
Paul has been whipped. Paul has been stoned. There's a couple of times that it says Paul was taken up to, I think he says the third heaven, whatever that, like, I'm not 100% sure what that means yet. I'm still learning. But like, we see that Paul probably died in those moments and Christ allowed him to come back. And so Paul has, Paul has been through it. Paul has been through the ringer. He's been through the ringer for his faith. He's been rejected by the believers in Jerusalem. He's been rejected by the Gentiles. He's, been, he's had to abandon his station, his power, his money, everything. But he was still excited. And why? Why was he still excited? Because he realized his station, his power, his money, his friends all of that was not worth what Christ was offering. And so when you think about this, you think about the gospel, you should be excited. We should be so excited to share the gospel. Paul is burdened. Paul has a lot of things. Paul has a lot of weight on him. There's a lot of churches that rely on Paul. That's why he wrote so many epistles. There's, there's a lot of people relying on Paul. That's why you, you see he had people who surrounded him. That's why he got so many visitors when he was in prison in Rome, when he was on house arrest. Paul had probably more weight than anyone in this room could understand. Not to say that your weight isn't important. But what I am saying is that even in the middle of that weight, Paul, even in the middle of that weight, Paul still held fast. And not only did he hold fast, he stayed excited. And I, and I, I just, I just hope that as I continue on in this journey, right, in this adventure that God has invited me into, that I can stay as excited as Paul, that no matter what lows come my way, I can stay excited because, because the, the circumstances that I face don't affect the message that Christ has brought me. It's still a message of freedom. It's still a message of hope. It's still a message of redemption. And ultimately, it's a message of his eternal love being poured out on his people. And so Paul looks at that love, and he looks at all of the things that he gave up. And instead of saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because he asked me to. No, no, no. He says, I am excited. I am eager to come to a place that I've never gotten to share the gospel before and share the gospel. It is the incredible resilience of Paul to say, even though I've been beaten, even though I've been either killed or very close to killed, I am still excited. Because no matter what happens, no matter what it is, this is still worth it. And this is the message that he brings to the Church of Rome. And this is how this is just the introduction to the message that he brings to the Church of Rome because he has so much more that he's going to lay out. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you don't feel excited anymore. That happens. That happens from the least of us to the best of us. But can I encourage you in this moment, if you no longer feel excited about the things of God, Begin to give them priority in your life. And it might not feel easy, right? You're thinking, I've got 12 million things that I have to do. But take those things. I'm not saying ignore them, but just put them, put them down one. 
and acknowledge God first, right? Acknowledge God at the center of all of those things. Don't put him on a checklist, but acknowledge him in the middle of them. Acknowledge him as a support. If you're tired, come to him. If you feel, if you feel overburdened, come to him. And not only come to him, but come to the people sitting in this room and start doing life together. Use this community as a way to encourage yourself and also as a way to encourage them. If you are tired, understand that that happens. We're human. We're going to get tired. We're going to lose our excitement sometimes. But whenever that happens, pray. Find connection. Become encouraged again. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, I'm excited. And the reason he was able to stay excited like that is because he, he sought that encouragement. And he gave that encouragement. And he stayed excited about what God was doing because he was constantly listening to, hearing about, and talking about what God was doing. It was easy for him to stay excited because he had it at his forefront. Paul was burdened for the church. And we should all have a burden like Paul. A burden for the church, a a burden for the world, a burden that doesn't care about class or station, but simply cares about showing the love of Christ. A burden that cares about people coming to know him. A burden that doesn't leave us broken, but a burden that leaves us excited. A burden that leaves us ready. A burden that leaves us with a sense that we are not alone, but instead have been invited into this grand calling by God himself, and we should have that burden. And so I want to wrap this up with two questions. The first is really simple. How are you handling the burdens that God has given you? I want you to think about the things that are burdening your heart right now, burdening your heart today. How are you handling those things? What are you doing with those things that you feel burdened by? Do you need to make some adjustments? Maybe. If so, start making those adjustments today. Is it something that you need to bring to God? Is it something that you need to bring to a trusted friend? Is it something that you need to bring to a family member? What do you need to do about those things that God has burdened you with? Those things that feel heavy on your heart that you say, I have to do this. What do you have to do about that? Just, just, just think about that today. And then begin to make those changes. And the second is, have you ever known what it was like to have someone share in your burden? Have you ever been, have you ever invited Christ into your life? We see in the book of Romans, because we're in the book of Romans, we see in the book of Romans that he offers salvation to all of those who believe and trust. Because if you haven't submitted your life to him today and you'd like to, to know what it means to share your burdens with him and other believers like the people in this room, then I would love to pray for you right down front. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go into some music here in a moment. We're going to go into worship. And when we do, I'll be right down here. If you want to pray about your burdens, about how that can happen, or if you want to pray about uh, inviting Christ into your life, I would love to pray for you. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and pray for all of us right now. If you bow your heads with me. Father God, today we just thank you for the waiting. We thank you for the no's, but most importantly, we thank you for the burdens. 
We thank you that we can take those and we can find opportunity to grow, find opportunity to, to really press into you, find opportunity to invite you into our lives. God, we are so very thankful for this life that you've given us. Help us to live to the fullest uh, calling that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.